morning. I want to welcome all of you that are gathered here in the sanctuary, along with those listening on radio and watching us on Facebook Live. Also, to all the fathers that are here with us today or listening on radio, happy Father's Day. I do have several announcements before we start our service today. You'll notice behind me on the altar there are three roses, three sets of roses. They're to honor people of our congregation who are celebrating 50-plus years of marriage. First one is for Larry and Becky Longworth, who will be celebrating 58 years of marriage on June 20th. The second one is for Jerry and Judy Cook, who will be celebrating 54 years of marriage on June 22nd. And the last one is kind of special. Roger and Ruby Setledge will be celebrating 73 years of marriage today. So happy anniversary to all the couples. This morning, we are pleased to have our youth pastor, Tori, preaching another message in her series on spiritual warfare. The summer scripture reading plan takes us through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Copies are available at the Information Center in the Sanctuary or on our website, which is www.firstchurchnk.org. That concludes my announcements this morning. Now, those who are able, would you please rise and join me for a call to worship? This morning is taken from Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding, so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your purpose, your that it may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteous, preserve my life. Please remain standing. We have two praise songs this morning. The first one will be Build My Life, and the second one is Waymaker.
while the children come forward for their children's chat with Mrs. Lammers, take a moment and greet one another. today. Excellent. Well, I'm going to need some help. (coughs) All right. So Herschel, can you hold that one just like that? Okay. Millie, hold this one together. And Josephine and I can't remember Annabelle. And then can you hold this one all by yourself? Okay. All right. So don't show it yet. Don't show it yet. All right. So, today, (coughs) excuse me, I need your help because today is a special day. And we need to figure out whose special day it is. Okay? So, (coughs) Herschel, what letter are you holding? Turn it over. What letter is this? F. Is it an F? Okay, can you stand up? Come over here. Stand up, hold it right here so everybody can see it. Okay, perfect. F is for forgiving. When we disobey or do something wrong, this person is willing to forgive us. Okay, Millie, what letter do you have? Do you have A? Yeah, stand by Hirsch. A is for attentive. When we need someone to talk to, this person is willing to listen to what we have to say. Okay, Claire, turn it around. What letter do you have? T. T is for teacher. This person teaches us that the most important lessons of our life. He teaches us right from wrong, and he teaches us by example how to love one another. Okay, AJ and Miles. Can you come stand up over here? What letter do you have? H. Good job. Okay, come stand over here. Come down a step, Miles. Perfect. Good job. Do it together. H is for helpful. This person helps us make the important decisions we face each day. He may offer advice or he may just be a good listener, but he is always there to help us. Okay, girls. What letter do you have? E. E is for energetic. No matter how tired he is, this person always seems to find the energy to do the things with us and for us. All right, sweetheart, you have the letter R. R R is for ready. This person is always ready to reach out in love to us. He is ready to do whatever we need. So what word did we make? Father. 
father. Why father? Because it's Father's Day. Exactly. Yeah. It's Father's Yeah. And so dads are forgiving and attentive. They help us learn. They're a teacher. They're helpful. They're energetic. And they're always ready to be with us. So today we remember our father. Now, you have an earthly father, right? But we also have a heavenly father, don't we? Yeah. So even if our earthly dad is not here with us, our heavenly father, God, is always with us. You're right. So can we bow and say a quick prayer? Dear Lord, thank you for our fathers. Help us this day to show our love and appreciation to our fathers. And may we always remember to thank you, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks for your help today, guys. Amen. Thanks, Maria. You guys can go sit down. Our offering today goes to support the Sunday School Ministry. Obviously, we're on a break for the summer at the time being, but before we know it, Sunday school will be back up and running again this fall. So as we, as the deacons go around to collect the offering this morning, if you're able and willing to give, the offering this morning will go to support our Sunday school ministry here at First Church. Today for our music during the offering, we're going to sing a congregational hymn. So if you are able to join us, I encourage you to do that. It's number 402 in your hymnals, the solid rock. You may remain seated if you'd like to as we, as the plates are passed around for the offering this morning. Join us as we sing number 402, the solid rock.
seated again. We have an extra hymn listed in your bulletin this morning, so we will not be singing number 435 at this point. Um, So I do want to take a moment to just remind you of our scripture reading plan before we go into prayer. If you've been following along this week, we started in the Gospel of Matthew, verses or chapters 1 through 6. And chapter 6 in the Gospel of Matthew is where we find the story of uh, the, the, where Jesus teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer. You know, that's a prayer that we read or we recite together all the time as we pray in our Sunday morning services. And it's a, it's a prayer that's so familiar to us, sometimes we just... We just repeat it without necessarily thinking of the words. And so as you were reading through the scripture plan this week, I hope as you came across that, you, you saw that Lord's see it where Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And so as we pray together this morning, I want to encourage you to think about that and think about the words that we pray together when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Because they are significant and they're remind, it's a reminder that our hope and everything is built on Christ and in our Heavenly Father. Because that's where our prayer starts, is focusing on Him, focusing on His goodness, on His faithfulness, on His provision. And that then puts everything else into perspective. So let's, let's pray together. Father God, I just thank You for this time here today. I thank You for the opportunity to worship You as, as one church, as one voice lifted up in praise. And we thank you now that we have opportunity to come before you in prayer as well. You are a good father. You are the the one that we lift up our prayers to. You are the one that we can run to in our time of need. You are our way maker, our miracle worker. You are everything, Lord, that we need. And so we turn to you in prayer here this morning. Heavenly Father, you are so good. And so we thank you, Lord, for your provision and your guidance and your will in our lives. Lord, as the song we sang this morning reminded us, sometimes we can't see you working, sometimes we can't feel you working, but we know, Lord, that you are working in our lives according to your good and perfect will. So help us to see that, Lord. Help us to, to, to trust that even when we don't see it. And help us, Lord, to build our lives on your love for us, on your righteousness, on your word that you have given us. Lord, we do thank you for the, the fathers in our congregation and our community. We thank you, Lord, for the love that they have for us. We thank you for the way they care for and provide for their families. And we thank you, Lord, for, for your fatherly love for us, which is the ultimate example and ultimate um, standard, Lord, that we look to. And help us as fathers, myself as a father and all the fathers here, to love our families and to love our children with the kind of love that you, our Heavenly Father, have for us. Lord, I also pray for those in our congregation and community who maybe are missing their father on this Father's Day. We pray for comfort and strength for them because these days are, are reminders that they are no longer with us. And so I pray, Lord, that you strengthen and sustain those who maybe are missing a heavenly father or missing a husband at this point. 
Lord, we thank you for Tori and we thank you for the words that you've placed on her heart that she's going to share with us today. I pray that you equip her and enable her and empower her by your Holy Spirit to share your word here this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for her ministry um, in this place. And thank you, Lord, for the impact that she has, not just on the children and youth, but also, Lord, our church as a whole. Lord, we also lift up our other uh, concerns that are represented in our bulletin. We ask, Lord, that you would work in a mighty way in those situations as well. May you guide and watch over those who are in need. And may you heal those, Lord, who are hurting. Lord, we pray all these things uh, and, and ask, Lord, in addition to those things, that you also be with those who are in authority over us, as your word calls us to do. And so we pray for our national leaders at this time. We pray for our president. We pray for our, our Congress and our Supreme Court that you would continue to give them wisdom and guidance, Lord, that they would have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness, that they would be filled, and that they would make decisions for the good of our, of our country and the people, Lord, and, and decisions that are in line with your word and your will. And Lord, we pray also for our church as we collect for the Sunday school ministry this day. We thank you for our Sunday school teachers and all those who serve in that ministry. And as they, I pray that this summer break, Lord, would be a time of refreshing for them so that when the school year starts again in the fall, they'll be ready to go to, to continue to pour into the, these children, Lord, to raise them up, to disciple them, to know, love, and serve you. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The scripture reading today comes from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day evil, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, 
who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us in this place, Lord, that your spirit is hovering over us this morning. Father God, I pray that as we uh, learn about the breastplate of righteousness, Lord, and and, uh, the gift that your righteousness is to us, Lord, I pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would be big, that you would uh, be speaking to our hearts this morning, and that I would be little. Lord, I pray that you would just take over in this place, Lord, and what that the things that we hear, um, that we would obey, Lord. We love you, and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. All right, so this morning, we are continuing on in our Armor of God series. And in our last message, we began the deep dive into the individual, individual pieces of the armor. So we talked about the belt of truth and how the belt of truth is the foundation for our armor. So Christ and his word, which points us to him, is our foundation, right? Truth wraps around us like a belt to support our core and to allow us to freely move within the battle. So today we're moving on to the breastplate of righteousness. So a Roman soldier's breastplate was a heavy piece of bronze that was worn from the midsection, from the neck to the thighs. And some soldiers, if they had money, they would also put like a leather sheath or even chain mail over the breastplate or over that breastplate. And all of these layers were really important for uh, protecting the chest, specifically the heart. The heart is the most important organ in the human average of 100,000 times per day. It pumps the equivalent of 2,000 gallons of blood around your body each day. Is my mic off? Oh, whoops. It definitely is. Awesome. Oh, there it is. Thank you. <laughs> oh, all right. So, anyway, the heart pumps. 2,000 gallons of blood around our body each day. And so every organ depends on the heart and the blood that it delivers to each place in our body. And so uh, if your heart stops, everything else stops, right? And just as our physical hearts are important to our physical life, our spiritual heart is just as important to our spiritual life because our heart is the core of our being. And when scripture talks about our heart, it's not referring to the thing beating in our chest. It's referring to the place where our mind, our will, and our emotions all come together. So every thought you think, every decision you make, every emotion you feel comes from your heart. So because our hearts are the core of our being, that God tells us that we need to protect them. He says in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So our hearts are important to God, and they're so important that he gave us an entire piece of armor just to protect our heart. But in order to understand how this piece of armor functions and protects our heart, we have to define righteousness first. So at its face value, righteousness is the quality of being upright. So it's the right living. It's fulfilling the expectations set in a relationship. And truth and righteousness really go hand in hand. And one of the cool things about the armor of God is that they, they all the, each piece builds off of each other. So God's truth is our foundation. It's the foundation of our life, just like the belt is the foundation of the armor. And then righteousness is the upright living that comes from aligning ourselves 
to God's truth. So the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness have to be worn together because you cannot be righteous, you cannot live righteously without God's truth. But the problem is, is that you and I, we're not righteous people. We have the DNA of Adam and Eve coursing through our bodies, and we do not have a righteous bone in our body. On our own, we cannot live the righteous lives that we are called to live, and even the most good-hearted and good-natured people among us fall short of God's expectations. And that's why it's only through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross that we are given the gift of righteousness. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when you become a born-again believer and you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the penalty of your sin is removed. And the gift of God's own righteousness is given to you. So in Christ, you are declared righteous in God's sight. And he now sees you through the filter of his son's own blood and declares you righteous before all accusers. And our number one accuser is Satan. And Satan doesn't want us to realize any of this. He doesn't want us to realize that we are a new creation, that we are declared righteous before God, because, and once you become a born-again believer, Satan can't take that away from you. But he will try to get in the way of us living out of that righteousness that we've been given and living the life that we're called to live in Christ. And he does that by attacking our heart. And so that's why we need the breastplate of righteousness, because it clothes us, it protects us, and it enables us as believers to stand firm in Christ and in his righteousness. So how many of you in your closets have a ratty old t-shirt or a sweatshirt that you just love to wear around the house? I have in the summers a favorite tank top that I wear, and it's my favorite thing to get out of the clothing bin because it's, it's torn, it's stretched, and it's not flattering at all because it's about two sizes too big, but I just love that top. And I don't want to get rid of it because it's so comfortable. You know, we all have things like that, things from college or maybe even high school if you still have some of those things. But the stuff doesn't fit, right? Or it's torn and you would never be caught dead in it outside of the house, but you, you still hold on to it because it's comfortable, right? You know, the same is true for our spiritual lives. When you become a born-again believer... You get kind of some new clothes, and scripture talks about this in Zechariah 3. The prophet Zechariah has a vision of Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord in filthy clothes. And as he stood before the angel, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. So God exchanges our old, unrighteous, filthy clothes for new righteous robes. But we still have to choose to wear those every single day. You know, in Paul's day, the city of Ephesus was just steeped in paganism. There was witchcraft, there was idol worship, and so many different religions for people to be part of. And if you wanted to join one of these religions, you kind of had to go through like an initiation process. And part of that process involved removing the clothes, the old clothes that you came in, and putting on the new clothes that they gave you. And so this signified kind of a break with your old life and now this new life that you were stepping into. And so Paul uses this idea of taking off and putting on to help the believers in Ephesus understand their new identity in Christ. He says in Ephesians 4, 
You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, which is created to be like God in true holiness and righteousness. You know, as Christ followers, there are behaviors and there are sins that sometimes we just get comfortable with, right? They've become like that ratty t-shirt that we just can't seem to throw away. And maybe you've held a grudge for far too long and you've become really comfortable in the anger you feel towards that person. Or maybe there's a habit that you know is wrong, but you just can't seem to let it go. Our sin is really like that ratty old filthy t-shirt that we just, we just can't throw away. And we know it's wrong. We feel the guilt and the shame when we do those things. And we know that it does have an impact on our relationship with the Lord, but we just can't let it go. And here's the deal. Satan wants us to not let those things go. He wants us just to keep living the way that we've always lived before we met Jesus. But Paul tells us that that's not us anymore. That Jesus didn't redeem you just for you to go back to those comfortable sins and that old way of living. And if you're a born-again believer, those ratty clothes, they no longer fit you. And you're different. And you've got to put on the new clothes that are so much better for you to be wearing. So what are the sins in your life that you've been comfortable with? What are the things that you know are keeping you attached to the old ways of living and keeping you from walking with Christ in the righteousness that he has given you? You know, if there's something that's coming to mind right now that the Spirit's bringing up, maybe it's time to let those go. Maybe it's time to bring those to Jesus and to seek his forgiveness and repent and allow him to help you turn away from those sins. You know, I read a quote in preparation for this Sunday online that said, if we're going to wear the armor of God, we first have to remove the armor of me first. We cannot put on the belt of truth if we're trying to live by our own truth. And we cannot wear the breastplate of righteousness if we're content to, wear, to continue wearing the um, breastplate of pride or self-righteousness that we, we've put on ourselves. And so Christ enables us to be done with those old things. It is through him that he removes those things from our life and allows us to walk and live in the new life that he's given us. And taking off and putting on these old and new clothes is a daily problem. <laughs> But the more that we allow Christ to remove those things from us, the better our new armor can fit. And the better it can protect us, which is what it's designed for. So, you know, last time I was up here, I kind of used Jake as a guinea pig. And, uh, but one piece of his uniform that I am so thankful for is his vest. Now, I do kind of wish it was a little bit more protective, but that's just, you know, police wife thing. Um, but the vest protects his chest and his stomach while he's on duty. And so Jake would never go on duty without putting on his vest first, just like a Roman soldier would never go into battle without the breastplate. God has given us the, the breastplate of righteousness to protect our hearts. And wearing the belt of truth or even putting on the gospel shoes of peace does us no good if we don't put the breastplate on as well. Because going into battle without that chest protection makes us an easy target. And we all know that we have an enemy, right? Satan is our enemy. And sadly, a lot of us just try to ignore that, right? We try, we try to pretend that Satan isn't real or that he's not there or that he's not actively trying to work against us and work against the things of God. And Satan knows that the things that will tempt us. He knows the things that can distract us 
He knows the power that sin has of getting in the way of our relationship with Christ. But remember, Satan cannot take away our relationship with him, but he can prevent us, and he he does try to prevent us from living the way that we're called to. And he intentionally will set traps for us to see if we'll fall into that temptation and sin because he knows its power. You know, an example of this is Achan's sin in the book of Joshua. Now, if you've gone to Sunday school or you've grown up in church, you've probably heard about the battle of Jericho, right? God told Joshua to go in and march around the cities of the wall of the cities. And each day, each day, and then on the seventh day, the walls came tumbling down, right? And bef- but before they took the city, God gave them specific instructions for what to do when they went in and took over Jericho. He said, the city and all that is in it is to be devoted to the Lord. All the silver and the gold and the art- articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go in his treasury. So everyone obeyed what the Lord told them to do, except for Achan. He saw this beautiful robe and he saw some silver and gold and he wanted them. And he took those items, even though he knew that they belonged to God. And nobody really knew that Achan took these things, but God did. And after they had taken over Jericho, Joshua sent just a few men to go fight in the battle at Ai. And these men that fought in that battle ended up dying. And Joshua just could not understand why. And so he asked the Lord, why did all these men die? And God said, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. And that is why Israel cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. And I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So, you know, Satan... He's not really mentioned in this story. This passage doesn't mention Satan tempting Achan, but you can totally see his influence behind the scenes, right? Satan knew that he could get at Achan by just dangling the shiny, the shiny things and the fancy robe in front of his face. And so he set that trap for him. And Achan fell right into it, right? Satan doesn't make us sin, but he will put things in our path that might possibly tempt us. And so because of that, it wreaked havoc on the Israelites. It brought death to many people, and they could not stand up against their enemies because the Lord stopped fighting for them. And the Lord even threatened to take, to take his presence away from them. And in the end, it ended up costing Achan and his family their life. But we don't have to be like Achan God has given us his word. He's given us his spirit to help us to be obedient and to live out of our relationship with him. God has given us the breastplate of righteousness to protect our hearts, but it's up, for, up to us to put it on. And putting on the breastplate of righteousness signifies our commitment to pursuing righteousness in our daily lives through, the, through obedience to Christ and his commands. You know, the breastplate on a Roman soldier was kind of hard to ignore. It was a very big piece of equipment. And Paul used this visual of the breastplate to help us see that righteousness is meant to be lived out. We've been given the righteousness of Christ, but we have to live like like we're clothed in righteousness. And so pursuing righteousness means that we intentionally choose to align our lives to God in the way that he calls his people to live. But it's not easy. Pursuing righteousness is not easy, especially in the world that we live in. But thankfully, 
you know, back in biblical times, the world wasn't that pretty either. And one person that pursued righteousness was Noah. And Noah, in Genesis 6, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So Noah lived radically different than the world around him. He was righteous, and he was blameless. And Noah still had sin in his life. That didn't just go away, but his main goal was to pursue God, to walk with God each and every day. And so God saw Noah's heart. He knew that Noah would obey him when he asked him to build the ark, and so that's what he did. And Noah, and uh, he built the ark to God's exact specifications, and he made sure to, that every animal that God brought to him got on the ark. And Noah is an example of what it looks like to live out of that righteousness that we've been given each day, right? He obeyed when it didn't make sense. He, he uh, didn't have all the answers. He wasn't sure how everything would turn out, but he did it anyway. And while the rest of the world drowned in the flood, Noah and his family were safe, and they were protected because of that obedience to God. Scripture tells us over and over again that God protects the righteous. Pursuing righteousness and doing what is right in our world today it will put a target on our backs. The enemy will come after us for living the way that God wants us to live, but that shouldn't stop us. And people might look at us like they did when Noah uh, was building the ark, but we're supposed to be different than the world around us. We're supposed to be, our lives are not meant to look like the other people, other people around us. And there should be a noticeable difference in the way we live our lives because of Christ and because of what he did for us. And obedient living and living the way that God calls us to live, it might not make sense all the time. It's going to make us uncomfortable. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to cost maybe even some relationships, but it's worth it because righteous living is our calling as born-again believers. So my question for you is, are you living the way that God has called you to live? Are you living out of that righteousness that he has given you? The enemy is going to try to derail you. He's going to try to distract you, but don't let him because righteousness is our protection against the enemy. It's our declaration to the world around us that we are doing things the Lord's way. And the breastplate of righteousness really is only effective in protecting our hearts if we're committed to pursuing and living out of that righteousness through our relationship and our obedience to Christ. You know, there's a pastor by the name of Alan Jackson that Jake and I listen to. It's not the singer. Um, and a few weeks ago, I was doing yard work, and we were listening to one of his sermons. Believers fall into two categories. We're either overlookers or we're overcomers. Overlookers see the sin and the unrighteousness in the world around them, and they do nothing about it. These believers know what is right, but they don't stand up for it. Overcomers, on the other hand, see the sin and the unrighteousness in the world, and they do something about it. They stand firm in what is right and what Scripture says, and they speak out against unrighteousness. And so after listening to this sermon, Jake and I sat down for dinner, and as we were eating, we started talking about what it looks like to be an overcomer versus an overlooker. 
And, you know, I know that there are areas in my life where I have maybe stayed silent or I have overlooked things that I shouldn't have. And in our conversation, Jake and I could easily be like, well, you know, the church isn't doing anything. You know, believers aren't rising up, all that stuff. But God reminded me that living this way, it starts with us. It starts with me making that commitment and saying, you know what? I'm going to be an overcomer. I am going to overcome and I am going to use my relationship with Christ to be an overcomer. So it's a personal commitment to doing that. And the armor of God is the protection that we need to be overcomers, to live the righteous and holy life that he calls us to, do, to live. You know, the world around us is just getting darker. And scripture tells us that as we get closer to the second coming of Christ, that things are just going to get worse. And the enemy and his attacks are just going to ramp up. And the evil is going to become more and more prevalent, and it's going to be challenging to live as a Christ follower in our world. And, you know, I'm not telling you these things to make you afraid, but I'm telling you them because it's time for us to armor up. We have to armor up so that we can stand firm in truth and in righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and on his word. And we don't need to be afraid because we serve the victorious king of kings. And we've read the end of the book. We know who wins. It's Jesus. Jesus wins. But right now, we still have to fight. But we fight from that position of victory and the victory that Christ has won on our behalf. But it's still, it's still not easy to stand up in the world around us. You know, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego comes to mind when I think of an example of what it looks like to stand firm in a world that is just filled with idol worship and unrighteousness. In Daniel 4, King Nebuchadnezzar made a 90-foot statue out of gold. And he issued a decree that people had to bow down and worship this statue any time they heard music playing. And refusal to bow down to the statue resulted in being thrown into a fiery furnace. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they worshiped the one true God. They refused to bow down and worship the statue the king commanded them to. And they got caught. And they were brought before the king, and the king asked them why. And they said, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So this, the king sent them into the blazing furnace, and he ordered it to be heated seven times hotter than normal. And it was so hot that the guards who threw them in there were burned up immediately. But God protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were tied up and they were thrown into the fire. And when the king went and looked in the furnace, the men, three men, were untied, walking around, and there was a fourth person walking in there. And that just shows us that God protects us, that God was fighting for them in that furnace. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down. They trusted that God would be their protection. And even if he didn't, they still refused to bow. And they came out of the fire unsinged and unharmed. They didn't even smell like fire. And, you know, this scripture reminds me so much of the world that we're living in today. Our world is just riddled with the worship of idols, especially the idol of self. You know, culture tells us that you can be who you want to be. You can do what you want to do. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong as long as it feels good to you. And we've exchanged those truths for lies and righteousness for unrighteousness. 
And, you know, I believe that God still wants to use us. I believe that he still wants to use the church and you and I to influence and change the world around us. And I think God is looking for believers that are more concerned with living righteously than being politically correct. He wants people to rise up like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and stand firm in his righteousness and say that we will not bow down. We will stand for God. We will stand on his truth and on his word and in his righteousness, even when it's hard. You know, God has given us this breastplate of righteousness to fight against the sin and the unrighteousness in our life and in the world around us. We've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We're protected by righteousness through Christ, and we're able to stand firm in him. But it's time for us to put it on. It's time for us to commit to live the way we're called to live and fight for his righteousness in the battle. And we fight that knowing that no matter how, how hard it is, no matter how hard the fight becomes, the battle has already been won. Our victory is in Christ. God is for us and God fights for us. And in him, we are victorious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord. Thank you for the call to live out of our relationship with you, Lord. You have clothed us in righteousness, Lord. You have exchanged our filthy clothes for righteous robes, Lord, and you ask us to put them on and to wear them in the world around us and to live out of our relationship with you. God, I pray that you would help us as believers here at First Church to rise up, Lord, and to stand firm in your righteousness, Lord. It is only through you and through our relationship with you that we can do that, that we have the strength and the protection of the breastplate to stand firm in the world that we're living in. Father God, I just pray that you would empower us through your spirit, Lord, to, to stand up and to stand firm on what you have us, what is right according to scripture, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord, that you are always fighting for us, that no matter how dark it gets, Lord, that you are our hope, that you are our victor, and that we stand firm in your victory. We love you, and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. We're going to close our service this morning by singing Nothing But the Blood from our hymnals. It's hymn number 195.
Um, may you go from this place knowing that the Lord fights for you, that he is your righteousness, and that in him you can stand firm against the enemy and his attacks. You may go in peace.